Welcome to a guy in his pipe podcast. I'm Travis Sivart, and I'm going to sit back with a pipe and a brandy and explore the incredible, fun, kooky, and creepy things right here in our own world. I say our own world because I'm a sci-fi and fantasy author and create worlds, but I want to share unique food experiences to haunted locations, natural wonders to amazing historic sites from lost civilizations to your own backyard. So join me and explore the world with a guy in his pipe. So today I have a Paul Maison for your brandy. I will be smoking a Capri Gazzo quarter bent. Uh, very nice pipe, not terribly expensive. And I have some dark cherry Cavendish tobacco from Cornell and Deal. I will be using, I forget this gentleman's name who made these tampers, AJ. I I think AJ, and I forget, but makes great tampers, and using a Calibri lighter, fun fact. So I'm going to light this pipe, raise my glass of brandy. Here's you, thank you for joining me. And let's get on with this. I want to talk about the See if I could pronounce this right for you. The Mari Man in Australia. This is a fun thing. But first, let's talk a little bit about Australia. Now, it's officially called the Commonwealth of Australia. And it's a sovereign country. The sovereign country made of the mainland of the Australian continent. The island of Tasmania, where Tasmanian devils come from, look nothing like the cartoon, apparently, but they can be a bit aggressive. But it is Australia we're talking about, so that shouldn't be surprising, right? And numerous smaller islands. It is the largest country by area in Oceania, meaning the area in Pacific Ocean, and the world's sixth largest country something i didn't know till i started looking things up here is its capital is canberra feel almost embarrassed that i didn't know that i was this many years old when i learned that and it was hard to use this word well let's just say in january 26 1788 captain arthur philip guided a fleet of 11 British ships carrying convicts to the colony of New South Wales, effectively founding Australia. Now, this is not counting the indigenous people who, as has often happened in history, white man shows up and goes, well, it's our shit now. But anyhow, here's a fun, couple fun facts. The Australian Alps get more snow than the Swiss Alps. Who knew, right? 90% of all Australians live on the coast. I wonder how the surfing is in Australia. Tasmania has the cleanest air in the world. And I love the Great Barrier Reef. I'm going to probably be working it in one of my books soon. But the Great Barrier Reef is the largest ecosystem in the world and in, in quite a bit of danger too right now. Australia has over 60 separate wine regions. 
and at the latest count, a population just under 24 million. Now, Marie is a teeny little place, formerly known as Hergot Springs. It's a small town located in the north part of South Australia. So it's pretty much Southern Australia. It's just kind of that top part of that region. Only has 150 people. And uh, it was established as a town on December 20th, 1883. But as a locality, May 29th, 1997. That's a hell of a hundred year difference plus going from a town to a locality. So it's a little teeny town, only like four square blocks or something, one road going through it, three going off to the side, something like that. And little interesting historical fact about it, it was home to Australia's first mosque, built in 1862, and it was made of mud, brick, and built by the Afghan Cameleers employed at Mari's inception. So at the going from the 1800s to the 1900s, the town was divided in two, and the Europeans got one half, and the Afghans and the Aborigines got the other half. Very kind of the white people to allow the Aborigines to have half the town that, yeah. But we're not gonna go there. We're not gonna go there. I'll probably comment on that because I like to recognize that our history is made of uh, some bad choices here and there. So the Mari man is, we've all seen the geoglyphs, the huge things in Peru. You know, they're like of men or spacemen or hummingbirds or a tree, etc. Fun fact, and you'll hear me do this quite frequently in here. I actually feature those in Silver and Smith and the Doppelganger's Gate, book two of the Silver and Smith Chronicles. Because I've always had a fascination for geoglyphs and Less where they come from, but why they came. And you're going to hear me lighting my pipe throughout this. Okay. So this is a man-made geoglyph, though it kind of appeared sort of overnight. Now, in my research, I couldn't find a definitive size... And I'll, I'll tell you this in metric and standard. So 2.7 kilometers tall, or 1.7 miles. But I also found 3.5 kilometers, which is 2.2 miles, and 4.2 kilometers, or 2.6 miles. So I don't know if they're measuring, because the figure is, this is, of course, a giant man, um, but he's got his arm behind him with a bit of a stick in it um, used as a weapon. But it is the second largest geoglyph in the world. And it has, it's 35 centimeters deep, carved into the earth, 35 centimeters deep, which for those of you using standard, that's just a little more than a foot deep. It appeared in 1998 sometime between May 27th and June 12th. 
Anybody know this? By satellite imagery. Apparently it comes around every two weeks or so and snaps a picture. And it wasn't there on May 27th. It was there on June 12th. It was first spotted by, and I, I, in my research, I found two different names. Pilot Trevor Wright, but another article said Trek Smith. Who, Trek Smith was a charter pilot flying between Mari and Cooper Petty. So I don't know which one of these actually saw it, because I couldn't find a third reference that said, you know, collaborated one of these stories. But it was on June 26, 1998, he spotted it by chance. But around that same time, local uh, businesses and media started getting faxes. Because keep in mind, this is 1998, so faxes. To inform them of the Mari's man's existence. By the way, since then, they've been searching for the guy who did this. The person who made it, and there is a theory of who made it, but there is a guy named Dick Smith, a businessman, entrepreneur, who's offering $5,000 Australian for proof who it is. Now this guy Smith, Dick Smith, can we just call him Dick? Can we talk about Dick for a little bit? Dick believes the artwork takes its design from the outline of an ancient statue of Zeus. He feels there, it was really expensive and complicated to do and required a degree of scientific knowledge and probably used a GPS to make it. Keep in mind again, 1998 GPS, not everybody had it on their phone like we do now. I'm talking like 1998 like it's a long time ago and it's not actually to me that long ago because in 1998 i was i don't know 26 27 years old and you know i i, I had yeah been around a little bit but a lot has changed since 1998 so there are certain things that go with this now, done with the GPS, several anonymous press releases, as I mentioned, on July 1998 and August 1998, led to the suggestion that Americans, people from the U.S., created this thing. And the reason it says, or suggested that, is they use terms in these press releases that aren't the way Australians talk. Things like your state of SA, Queensland's Barrier Reef. They call the Aborigines from the local indigenous territories. It's not how Australians speak. The press releases also mention the Great Serpent in Ohio, which if you don't know, that's an earthworks here in the United States. Um, quite impressive, quite impressive. Uh, pretty much Every major continent, barring Antarctica, had pyramids on it of some sort. And some were underwater.
where they come from and what they're all about. We'll see. But they mentioned the Great Serpent in Ohio, which maybe I'll do an episode on that. That'd be pretty cool. And that's not well-known outside of the U.S., apparently. I don't think it's all that well-known in the U.S., but I like to talk about it because I'm fascinated by these sort of things, ancient cultures and whatnot. But some people think the press releases were red herrings, that they were just false leads to throw people off. And I have to agree with that because other language in it, like the word color, had a U in it. That's a British spelling. But they were put, some people suggest, these phrases were thrown in there to throw people off and make them think an American did it. Now, July 16th, 1998. Somebody said they found a small glass jar in a trough in a, in a ditch that was freshly dug. And it was at the site, and it had a satellite photo of Mari Man, together with a note with the U.S. flag, references to the Branch Davidians, and Stewart's Giant. Now, if you don't know who the Branch Davidians are, they're basically a extremist religious group that got, like, disowned by their own church for their crazy shit, and they did all kinds of crazy shit. Like, not good at all. So, in January of 1999... This giant figure that people think was modeled after Zeus, or a Zeus statue. Another fax is sent, and it's talking about a description plaque, and tells them exactly where to find it. Five meters south of the nose of the figure. They did go dig it up, they checked it out, and the plaque had an American flag, Three centimeters by two, so about inch and a quarter by three quarters of an inch. An imprint of the Olympic rings and bore the words, quote, in honor of the land they once knew. His attainments in these pursuits are extraordinary, a constant source of wonderment and admiration. And that's a quote from Hedley H. Finlayson's 1946 book, The Red Center. And it's from a part of the book that describes hunting wallabies with throwing sticks and photographs of hunters without loincloths, for whatever reason that detail is important, and other details like in this geoglyph, the Mari Man. And I'm going to try to pronounce the tribe that the book deals with. The book deals with the hunters of the Pitjantjantjara tribe. But by the way, in honor has a U in it, which is not the American spelling. And I realize it's quoting a book, but again, it makes me think maybe not Americans. So there was a land deal in 2012 where it went to court who owns this land with this geoglyph on it. And there was two tribes competing for it. And of course, I guess white men, but the Arabana people won that case. And they now own more than 800 square kilometers of land north of Mari, including the artwork, and that was in 2012. They don't like it. 
they think that this can foul up the land, mess it up, looks horrible, they don't like it. But the local business owners like it, brings in tourism, brings in money. And in 2016, they were worried about the geoglyph was fading due to weathering. So, they got the GPS coordinates and a construction grader and redrew it. Took them five days to do it. They went out there and redrew it. Got white chalk in the little trench, you know, the foot deep trench, the 32 centimeter deep trench. They also created wind grooves designed to trap water, encourage the growth of vegetation. They're hoping the vegetation turns lines green, and they also hope that doing this extra work makes the geoglyph last longer. Isn't it amazing? We don't, like, in South America, they have these glyphs that have survived hundreds, if not a thousand years plus, and we can still see them. But here... Modern technology, GPS, we do it. And like just, you know, 15 years later, we're like, oh, I can barely see it anymore. Amazing. So then the question of who actually did it. And this is a big question. Because the person who did it can get in trouble they can get arrested and have charges pressed on them. And the native tribes would like to do that. But there was this one guy who, by the way, he died in 2002. He got into a bar fight, lost a tooth, got septicemia, and died from that. And what I hear about this guy, whose name is Bartius Goldberg, crazy guy, like just, just not crazy like insane, but crazy as in he just living life to the fullest, doing what could be considered insane things. He planted eucalyptus trees in the shape of a giant kangaroo, installed a disappearing Virgin Mary in the house, in, in the wall of a house, and on his deathbed. He confessed to the mayor of Kangaroo Island, his friend, Peter Clements. And Peter Clements told the advertiser, a newspaper in June, that his friend made a deathbed confession while at Flinders Hospital in 2002, right before dying. This was backed up by somebody else, a realtor named Richard Wedding, who he said, quote, Bartius made me promise not to tell anyone, but when I saw it in the paper, I thought it was okay. He was a very genuine and definite when he told me. So Bardius was making Aboriginal-style dot paintings near the desert town of Alice Springs when he got into a dispute with Herman Malbunka. Bardius then borrowed a GPS and a tractor to send a spiteful message to Malbunka, which this wasn't clear in the articles, but I don't think it was the Mari man. 
I think this is just something else he did that people went, he did that. This showed up soon after using what looks like the same damn technique. And he's done these other crazy things. Then he confesses on his deathbed that he did it. So there is a geoglyph carved into the earth in the middle of nowhere in Australia near a teeny little town with 150 people in it. And this geoglyph is somewhere between just under three kilometers to just over four kilometers or just under two miles to a little more than two and a half miles, depending on, I guess, how you measure it, you know, like bottom of the foot to the top of the head versus maybe from the point of a toe to the weapon sticking out behind the guy. I guess you could do it that way and get a different measurement. I don't know how these people measured. But it's out there. It's one of those wonderful, strange, weird things in our world. So thank you for joining me with this. I want to remind you, an experience lasts a lifetime. So gather those over material objects. I love to travel, and I try to travel every time I can. A lot of things I'm going to be discussing aren't things that I may have seen, but they are things I'm interested in seeing. If you have anything you'd like to hear about or comments on the show, you can always email me at aguyandhispipe at gmail.com. Also, I encourage you to check out travissivart.com. Last name, same as the first, but reversed. There you're going to find other podcasts like Tavern Society, which is me and two others doing toast topics and tangents. Tavern Reflections, which are relaxation and meditation with classic and original stories. And a bunch of other stuff, including my audiobooks and sci-fi fantasy ebooks and paperbacks like Silver and Smith series, the Portals fantasy series, and the Steampunk cycle. Okay, so remember, an experience lasts a lifetime. And I'll see you the next time with a guy on his pipe.